Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Thanks, Aaron and Tiffany and team. And thank you, Lynette, also for sharing about the opportunity to engage with uh, what's going on in Haiti uh, and our partnership there. Um, you know, this, earlier this week, I was on the phone uh, a couple of different times also with World Relief, um, who's the primary, primary agency to settle, that settles refugees in the Seattle-Tacoma area. And we'll be letting you all know about some opportunities to engage with, um, with that, the needs for the refugee community uh, in the days ahead. Um, but it was interesting to me, one of the things they shared is typically when refugees come in, there's a vetting process that happens for those that are seeking asylum, and they're put in a detention center. And there's, these detention centers are uh, all over the United States. One of them is, is in Tacoma. And oftentimes, uh, after spending some time, sometimes months, in a detention center, um, they are then granted asylum. And this is how it works. You are free to go. And they walk out of the detention center, and that's it. And I, I was shocked to hear that. If they're lucky, maybe they have family that's already settled in the country, uh, and they can figure out a way to get to them. Hopefully, they're on this side of the country. Um, but World Relief literally has a trailer in the parking lot of this detention center um, ready to help them out to find them temporary housing, to get them a train ticket or a plane ticket uh, to family or friends if they have them uh, in the country. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how it worked for a lot of refugees that come into our country. So there's a huge need. Um, There's going to be a big opportunity for us in the days ahead, especially as this major influx of um, Afghanistan, uh, refugees from Afghanistan comes in. And so we'll make sure to let you all know about that because God's word makes it really clear that we're to take care of the, the orphan the widow, and the immigrant, those who are in distress. And so we want to be that kind of church. Amen. Uh, so we've been uh, walking through a, a letter uh, in the New Testament, uh, the letter of Second Peter, the book of Second Peter. Uh, if you've been with us, there's two pro- prominent themes, and we've seen both of them already. Chapter 1, the theme is grow in your faith. Grow in your faith. Put it into practice. And then chapter 2, we, we looked at, we started last week, we get this portrait of, of a false teacher. This, the, these people that are in the church that are speaking untruth about who God is and who we are. And, and when the, the New Testament calls out false teaching, and it does many times, the primary interest in this calling out of false teaching is to guard uh, against wrong teaching about the nature and character of God. And... Our identity, our identity as his sons and daughters. So when, when Peter says, guard against false teaching, he, he's, he's not concerned about moon landing conspiracies or if the earth is flat or not. He, he didn't write, you know, dear brothers and sisters, many of you think that Caesar's salad originated in Rome, but in fact it came from Mexico. Like, he doesn't care about those secondary things, those rumors and those, those silly things that that uh, would circulate even today on social media. What he's concerned about is lies about who God is and about who we are. Uh, I remember one of the, f- the first times I-, I saw one of these lies about identity was when I left the country and I went to East Asia. And everywhere I went in the city of Hong Kong, which is a very modern city, I saw advertisements just like I would see in a big city in the United States for beauty products 
and for makeup and these, these things that, uh, that we want to, to do to make ourselves look appealing. What was really interesting, though, was in the United States in particular, so many of the beauty products are about how can you make your skin darker if you're a white person, right? And in East Asia, the beauty products were how can you make your skin lighter? And I thought, wow, what, what a trap, right? Different sides of the ocean wishing that they could be each other. And so these are the lies that come in about who we're created to be and, and who God has called us to be. So last week we looked at uh, kind of three things that false teachers typically will bring in, especially into the church. And one of them is that they deny Jesus. The other is they let their lifestyle dictate the truth. And false teachers always exploit others for their own gain. So on the heels of this explanation, uh, kind of going into to verse 10, Peter, who writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pronounces a judgment against these types of false teachers. And he, he, as he kind of paints this canvas, this portrait of a false teacher, um, the, the chapter continues, it unfolds, and it gets even more detailed and we get more illustrations. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 22. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to take the one in the pew in front of you. We, it's important that you have your own. I was talking with somebody today as they came in, and we were talking about the difference between digital and analog, Right? Many of us have our Bibles on our phones, but we also have other things on our phones. And as football season approaches, those other things can be a distraction, like checking the scores, right? So 2 Peter chapter 2, just a a quick note here. Some of you maybe are aware of this, some of you maybe not, but most of our Bibles have chapters and verses and even headings that kind of break up the sections. Those are not original to the letter. These, we believe that, that, that God's word is inspired, but the verses and the chapters are not. They're, they're literally put there just to help us find our place. And so we're actually picking up in the second part of, of verse 10. You could say 10a was last week and 10b is this week. And what we're going to do is what we've been doing is we're going to encourage you to read God's word on your own, and then we're going to unpack it together. So take a minute right where you're sitting, at home, right here in our church building, and read verse, you can start with verse 10, read through the end of the chapter. It's a lengthy passage. There's some interesting illustrations there. We're going to unpack these together. So just take a minute and do that right now.
We thank you for your word today. Thank you that you preserved it for us, that it speaks to us, that it is relevant for the current times that we live in. We ask that you would speak, Father, this morning. You wouldn't hear, no, we wouldn't remember the words of Andrew or of Aaron or of anyone else, but we would remember your words, that your Holy Spirit would bring them to mind, Lord, not just later today, but in the days ahead in our lives. We thank you for your truth, which is never changing. But would it change us today, Lord, as we read it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, when, when the church is primarily a, uh, an event you go to or, or a place that you uh, attend on Sunday morning, then much of what we read in Scripture can tend to have a distance to it because maybe we only interact with Scripture in this building. Uh, and then if you were to add some cultural re- references as you read God's Word that aren't familiar with some biblical illustrations, maybe we don't know, but maybe we should know, then the distance between Scripture and our life uh, just grows. The, the chasm grows, goes, grows even bigger and wider. And, and maybe you felt that a little bit after you read this passage. And if you did, it's okay. You're not alone. Uh, there's references in here that were very cultural to what uh, the first century church would have understood. There's allusions to scriptural stories that maybe are a little more obscure, not necessarily taught very frequently in church. And so our challenge today as 21st century Christians is to read God's word and to understand both the original context of it, but the timeless truths that are relevant for our moment right now. What we just read together is the continuation of this image gallery that Peter is painting, is giving us, um, this image gallery of a, of a false teacher, so that we, today in the 21st century, can recognize the character and influences that are not of God. Those things that are not true about who he is and about who we are as his children. So this um, understanding for us gets easier the more and more that we walk with God, that we are in his word, that we are in prayer with him, that we are in communion with each other. And the character and influence of God um, as, we, as we walk out our faith um, helps us to discern what is right and what is true. And as we grow in our faith, we also need to guard against the things that are not right. Uh, We're not primarily guarding uh, an institution or an organization, but we're attempting to guard a relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other as his church, because there are forces that want to destroy that relationship. Um, If your father or mother were to call you on the phone right now and to make a request of you, you would be able to tell right away if it was them or not, right? Because you know their voice. You know their character. You know their life. But if somebody were to make that same request that you're not as familiar with and you weren't, you're not really sure if it's them, you might, you might follow along with it with uncertainty. Maybe this is this person. I'll give an example of this. I routinely... Uh, get people that contact me, people from our church saying, hey, I got an email from you, Andrew. And the email says something along these lines. Some of you have gotten this. Hey, I'm in a meeting right now, but I need some help. Can you email me back? Email only, please. And then if you respond to that email, hey, Pastor Andrew, what's wrong? 
then I will then say, not me, but this person, um, yeah, could you buy some gift cards and, re- and send them to me or read me the, read me the codes on the back of them because I need to help somebody. Uh, this scam has happened many times where people have taken emails off of our church website, pretended to be me, and tried to scam people in our church. Now, some of you I know really well, and some of you, when this has happened, you've called me right away. Hey, Andrew, what's up? Because this is out of character for you. Some of you maybe don't know me as well, and you think, oh, whoa, Pastor Andrew's asking me to help with this situation. It must be legit. Yeah, I'll help him. And so this is the difference, right? The, the more we walk in relationship with God, the more that we recognize things that are true and things that aren't true. And so Peter opens his letter saying, hey, you need to grow in your faith. You need to take on these attributes of God. You need to walk in the way he's called you to walk out. And as you do that, you also need to be aware that there are people that are trying to take you away from that. They're trying to deceive you. They're trying to give you teaching about how to live that is wrong, that is false. Where we saw last week three areas of influence that false teachers try and have, we now look a little deeper in the text that we just read at their character. And in this series of snapshots, Peter gives us uh, an expanded gallery of what false teachers look like. The first one that we see is that false teachers are spiritually irreverent. He says they're bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such, thing, such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. Now, at first reading, we think this is a little bit confusing. This reference to celestial beings on one hand and angels on the other. What is Peter talking about here? And Unfortunately, we don't get a ton of context from what Peter's mentioning. We don't get a, 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 a we miss some of the nuance because this is a translation, right? This, these words were originally written in Greek and they're translated into English. But essentially what Peter is referencing here is demons and angels. So he names angels, but he calls those that are not angels, that are fallen angels, celestial beings, And this might be a little confusing instead of just calling them flat-out demons. But this is essentially what he's referencing here. Uh, In the Bible, the primary role of angels are to be messengers of God. And the fact that uh, celestial beings here are being contrasted alongside angels, um, we know that celestial beings are outside of that plan, outside of the will of God as it relates to being messengers for them. And they're in, again, in that camp of what Scripture commonly calls Demons, essentially angels who fell alongside of Satan. So what Peter is getting at here in this snapshot of false teachers or fake teachers is that they are so irreverent about spiritual things that they literally mock the demonic forces, those that fell out of favor with God, which are, these forces are more powerful than them. And then he contrasts that with the fact that angels who are more powerful than the demonic forces don't even do that. In other words, these false teachers mock the spiritual world. Now, we don't get a lot of context here about what their motivation is, but earlier in verse 2 of this same section on false teachings, we see these same false teachers deny Jesus himself. So clearly, even though they are somehow present in a church body, which is a spiritual family, they are minimizing the reality of the spiritual world. 
both Jesus and angels and demons. So in our day, we would do well to pay attention to anyone who minimizes the reality of angels and demons and Satan and Jesus and heaven and hell. Whenever you hear somebody rationalizing that, making it more scientific than, than spiritual, your ears better perk up. You say, hold on a second here. What's going on? So snapshot one is false teachers are spiritually irrelevant. Snapshot number two, we get this picture of moral corruption. He says, but these people, again, false teachers, blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They'll be paid back with harm for, for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, in a cursed brood. Now, I know it's sometimes hard to tell tone in the written word. If you've ever texted somebody and all you got back was the letter K, you've wondered, right? <laughs> but after all of these adjectives that Peter uses, it's, there is no mistaking what he thinks of false teachers. They are completely morally corrupt. Look at those words again. And the operative word here, which all of their character is built on, is the word blaspheme. Now, this, this feels like an old kind of old-timey, King James-y kind of word uh, that only religious kind of fuddy-duddies would use, right? But the, the, the heart of blaspheme here is to mock to insult or even to curse God himself. And they do this not just with their words, but with their very lives. When he says their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, that they revel in their pleasures while they feast with you. In other words, this idea of they're trying to participate with the church while living completely morally corrupt lives and celebrating it. They do it with this blaspheming heart in mind. They're so out of their control, out of control, so led by their own desires that Peter says they're more like animals in the way that they live their lives, just giving themselves over to any instinct that they have in the moment. Snapshot number three, driven by greed. These false teachers have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Anybody know who Balaam is? Okay, not very many people. This is one of those, I said, as I said earlier, scripture can feel really far away, both culturally and if we just don't know it. <laughs> And so we hear these references in the New Testament that are to the Old Testament. Like, what was that about? I'll give you a brief profile of Balaam. Balaam was a, uh, a type of prophet, probably closer to a sorcerer, who was hired by a king named Balak. Balak saw that the people of Israel were getting ready to come into the promised land out of the Exodus, and he was nervous. And he said to Balaam, I'll, I'm going to hire you to go and curse, to put a curse on these people so that they cannot follow out with their plans. 
and I'm going to pay you to do that. And so Balaam goes, sounds good. Profit for hire. And he goes out and he, and he plans to curse Israel and to hopefully make some money off of it. He doesn't really care either way, but he's getting paid. So as the story goes, God stands against Balaam and he's not able to carry out his curse. In fact, he ends up blessing the people of Israel. And one of the craziest stories I think in the Old Testament is the donkey that Balaam was riding on to carry out his mission stops him from going and at one point speaks to him. <laughs> so this is the imagery that, that uh, Peter uses in his Readers would have known about this. And at the root of false teaching, what we see here, the root of false teaching is greedy manipulation. Balak, the king who hired Balaam, wanted to stand against God because of his own interests. And Balaam was willing to go along with it because of his own interests. He wanted money. And so driven by greed, and this isn't always a money greed, it's sometimes it's a power greed. It's a control greed. And again, we talked about this last week as we looked at false prophets and things like the prosperity gospel. Then snapshot number four that we get of false teachers is they are enslaved by desire. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And this last line is so important. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Springs without water, mists easily driven by a storm. In other words, false teachers overpromise and underdeliver. Overpromise and underdeliver. We talked about this last week as it relates to prosperity theology. If you give to my ministry, if you give to this thing, you will be blessed. It'll come back a hundred times. No, it won't. God wants you to have all of the things that your heart desires. Guess what? No, He doesn't. He knows better than you do. But false teachers will use whatever they can to manipulate people. And what Peter says here is they themselves, while telling people to move in this moral direction, they are slaves to that very thing. I, I shared this story uh, some weeks ago, but I, I cannot tell you how many instances I've been in where people are, are were engaging with sinful activity, and because I was the only one that wasn't, they felt uncomfortable. And they said, come on! It's not so bad. You'll enjoy it. Jump in. Be a part of this. And the reason they were saying is because they were so bound up in it themselves, they couldn't imagine anybody else that wasn't. It, 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 it shone a light on their own moral depravity. And so what false teachers do is they invite people in into their way of life because they don't know how to be free from it themselves. We talked about... Um, this last week, and P Peter here is thinking of something very specific when he says these false teachers pull back from the freedom of the gospel into the slavery of lust. The, the slavery of lust was a, a problem 2,000 years ago, 
and it's still a problem today. And, and now, in the 21st century, the desires of the flesh, which is what Peter is referencing here, uh, have actually been elevated to a place of identity. They've been monetized into a commodity, and they've been glorified, or you could say deified, as God. This is what sexuality and lust have become in our culture. C.S. Lewis says something that I think is so appropriate. He says, the most dangerous thing you can do is to take any one impulse of your nature and set it up as the thing you ought to follow at all costs. There is not one of them which will not make us into devils if we set it up as an absolute guide. And we have these movements in our culture right now, these identity movements that say this is the defining characteristic of who you are. And we then say, yes, that is true. And we set it up as the the North Star for how we live and interact. And we are bound by it. And it becomes our truth that all other things are labeled against. And it leads nowhere. It leads to enslavement and bondage. And while the words of 2 Peter were written 2,000 years ago, they packed just as much of a punch today. Now, at least in our church, I don't think any of us can imagine giving a platform or position to someone like what Peter has just described. Someone who is so morally corrupt, someone who is so enslaved by desire that they'd actually promote their desires as the right way to live. No one would willingly in our church put somebody like this in a position of authority or give them even a second listen if they were even just regular attenders of our church, right? But here's the thing. This type of teaching, this type of false teaching that Peter describes is being offered to the church, to our church. It doesn't necessarily come on Sunday morning during our worship time. It's not here in the building, but it is present in the church. Have you heard it? Have you read it? Have you watched it? Of course you have. This kind of teaching is all over social media. It's included in a majority of the streaming series and movies that you watch. Man, whenever you see MA, which didn't even exist some years ago, you know what kind of content is going to be in there. You know what kind of messaging is going to be coming your way. It's in the video games your, children's, your children play. It's shared on TikTok and YouTube videos. This false teaching is not out there. It is right here. And we consume it every day. The average American spends between 7 to 11 hours a day. That's 49 to 77 hours a week consuming media on their phone, their TV, radio, computer, tablet. And if the sum total of the average Christian, and I know none of you are average, you're above average. <laughs> if the sum total of the average Christian's worship is 90 minutes per week, what truth, what teaching is being most magnified in our lives? I'm speaking to myself here. There you go. Somebody powered off their phone as a response, so it's good. <laughs> 
You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I did kind of our last summer thing, and we, um, with our in-laws, spent a couple, three nights actually, up at a cabin in Silver Lake, which is just uh, near the Canadian border. And uh, about five miles before we got to the, to the cabin, my phone, GPS, you know, was getting us there, and I look and I go, no, no service. Uh-oh. You know, we got there fine, and there was no service. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no cell service. And the cabin we were staying in, I saw uh, there was a Wi-Fi signal, and it wasn't open. And I thought to myself, how could I get the password for that Wi-Fi signal? <laughs> First 24 hours, I was a little twitchy, I'm going to be honest. This thing, guess what? If it's not connected to the internet, it's useless. I could, tell, I could see what time it was, but I have a watch for that. So after 24 hours of having it in my pocket for comfort, I realized it was useless, and I set it on the counter, and I didn't touch it for three days. And it was amazing, those three days, without having that distraction. There was one moment, I think it was 8 o'clock at night, we're sitting on the lake, and I just walked to a dock, and everybody had gone back to their tents and cabins, and I was sitting on this dock, out the water, looking at the mountains, and all I had was my own thoughts. And I realized, wow, this is far more of a rare occurrence than it should be. This is the world we live in. Our youth are coming back from a camp just probably any minute now. I think some of them may be even arriving. 30 youth and some staff that went out to camp. And I was talking to Lavelle uh, about it, and he says, nobody's taking their phone. I was like, wow. <laughs> that, that sounds revolutionary, doesn't it, nowadays? So this is the, the teaching is present in our lives, maybe, and definitely, <laughs> not on Sunday, but it is present in the church when we scatter, in our homes, what we let in. Peter ends his appeal to be aware of these false teachers with a sobering truth. He says this about false teachers. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but then are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to a vomit and a sow that is washed returns to a wallowing in the mud. It's true. Some of the most miserable people I know have once tasted the goodness of God and his grace and then returned to their sin. They've tasted it, they've returned, and now they're as miserable as they've ever been. So what about us today? I don't know about you, but I have zero interest in unpacking Scripture if I'm not going to be affected by it. Like, to just read God's Word just for the heck of it, no. If God's Word doesn't affect our lives, it's better to get some temporary joy by staying home and watching football on Sunday. So let's ask the obvious as a church, as followers of Jesus today. Stop and think with me for one moment. Are you aware of the false teaching around you? Do you see how the things that you've consumed have affected your thought life? Things on the internet, streaming media. If we see enough of the same images and the same messaging, it does affect us. Do you see how these things have affected your relationship with your spouse and your intimacy with them? 
Do you see how these things, if you're single, has affected the way that you think healthy relationships should look like? If your main teaching source of it is media, is streaming videos, how will that affect what you're looking for in the future? Parents, do you know what your kids are consuming and how it's forming their identity? Far too many parents are permissive with devices, and they have no, no clue that their children are being discipled by the culture, the blind leading the blind. As Peter says, they, these things promise freedom, but while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Do you know who the first false teacher was? The first instance of false teaching happened at the very Beginning. You've heard this before. We're going to close with this, but I want us to read these verses from Genesis 3 really carefully, and I want you to listen for the false teaching. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, and almost every false teaching starts this way, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. This is the way it works. The false teaching first is the question. You question the ways of God. Did God really say? Is it really that bad? Try it before you buy it. Don't knock it if you've not experienced it. Did God really say that? The other thing that is the danger here is Eve did not know the truth of God because God had said, if you eat it, you will die. But she adds something to it. What does she add? You must not even touch it or you will die. That's not true. God never said that. So false teaching, it gets us to question the ways of God. Then it, it it makes us forget what the truth of God actually really is. And then we doubt the ways of God. Satan says, oh, you won't die. It's not that bad. Now, they wouldn't die immediately, but they would die. The consequence of sin is death. And then what false teaching does is it exchanges desire for truth. When she looked at it, she goes, you know, it does look good. And if it does look good, it can't be that bad. How often have we believed that lie? If it makes me feel good, it can't be that bad. And then we're in bondage. We're enslaved to it. The trajectory of false teaching always leads us away from the nature and character of God, which in turn leads us to enslavement. In this life, and ultimately judgment in the next life. But there's good news. Even though we often exchange our desires and make them God, even though we exchange the truth for a lie, even though we reject the freedom of God for the empty promises of the world, there is always hope. There's hope because after Adam and Eve rejected God, 
he didn't stay in Eden. God didn't hold back and go, well, guess that's it. No, instead, God went to work creating a plan of redemption, a plan that would involve crushing the power of Satan and exposing his lies, a plan to free you and me from the slavery of our own desires and the empty promises of the world. And not only did God come up with this plan, he followed through with this plan. No over-promising and under-delivering here. Jesus came to free us from the bondage of sin. And he gives us now the power to walk in freedom. Jesus exposed the lies. He took sin on himself, and then he died with it on the cross. And now he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Know me. Follow me. And so our task as believers today is to do just that, to know Jesus, to know the way, the truth, and the life, to be stu students of his word so that when the fake email comes in to entice us to something or when the desires come in and, they, and we say, man, those don't look so bad, we go, wait a second, I know the truth. I know the way. I know the life, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray to that end. Have the worship team come back up. And we're going to take um, communion together in just a moment. If you didn't get the elements, there's some on the table right out in front of the doors there. And I'm just going to pray for us right now. Lord, I pray that we would be a, a church that is discerning in this time. And Lord, it's easy to be a Christian right here in this place on Sunday morning. It's easy to sing the songs together, to nod in agreement to your word, but it is far harder to draw the lines of what is true and good when we go home, when we just want to sit down and veg out on Netflix, when we just want a few moments of peace and so we hand our kids a device. Lord, it is so much harder to guard against false teaching then, but it's exactly what we need to do. So, Father, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? May we recognize the lies of the enemy that are still at play. Did God really say that? And if you desire it, it can't be that bad. May we understand those things. May we see them clearly in culture. And may, Father, we stand on your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.